My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Hey, how's it going? This is Steve from uh, Lost and Translation Park Whiskey Society podcast. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, it's Sean. Sean Kincaid. And today we have another guest for y'all. And uh, this guy, this guy is whiskey personified. Like came out and actually did a tasting for the club, uh, man, almost a year and a half ago. And the guys from the club still talk about how much they enjoyed ta- or listening to this gentleman talk about whiskey. Uh, for me personally, he's a, he's a great follow. He's always open to, to chat about anything. He's passionate about whiskey in general, not just his brands, which I think that's a true trait of, of what an ambassador needs to be. Uh, yeah, j- just an all-around awesome dude. Yeah, I'm sure you don't have to I Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So today today we we have Ray Daniel with us from uh, well, Beam Suntory. How, how's it going, Ray? How you doing? Thanks, thanks for that amazing intro. I'll, your check is in the mail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, like I mentioned to Cam in our last episode, we love to butter you guys up so that you're just uh, ready to sp- <laughs> spill, <laughs> so spill all, all the beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know how you work. <laughs> yeah, we got it somehow because nobody, nobody's getting paid to do this. That's for sure. So <laughs> we just, we all love whiskey, and that's that's the whole point of this podcast. Is yes, yes, you guys are all behind the brands and you, you work for the brands. But we're all we're all whiskey drinkers at heart first, so let's. Uh, and that's the important thing, right? Like exactly. It's and it's I find in Canada is is just it's a family. Like the whiskey fabric is thick in Canada. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's just so many great personalities. So when we when we kind of talked about starting this podcast, it was all I could think about was all the awesome people we'd have the opportunity to potentially talk to, and, and so far so far it's just been fantastic. So why don't um. We would like usually when we start out these interviews, it's uh, we want to hear you talk. We want to hear hear your story. We want to hear how your whiskey journey started. Um, I know that you've been you've been into whiskey for a long time. You've been in the industry for a long time. So start us start us from the beginning, Ray, and uh, and give us a story. Wow, from all the way from the beginning, eh? Yeah, okay, we, we well, got all um, the time you need, buddy. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was it was a cold winter's day in 1985. Uh, <laughs> No, um, I guess my kind of story really started uh, back in like 2000, 2001. Um, I, I really wanted a job. That's what I really wanted. And I was like 14. And my parents, you know, they kind of did the whole, you'll get a job when you're 16, you'll get a job when you're 16 type thing. And I kind of pushed it. So they kind of took the approach of, well, how about this? If you can find someone to hire you, you can work. Right? Thinking nobody's going to hire me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went around in like small little town. I went around every single store and like mechanics garage, whatever I could find to get a job and nobody. I ended up kind of having that moment. I was standing outside one of the pubs in my town. I would stick to the phone box outside and to call my mom to come pick me up in the town. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to jump into the pub and see what, you know, what the deal is there. Cause you know, I was a bigger guy. I looked a bit older and they were like, yeah, when can you start? <laughs> so I got back into, like the, into the uh, into the car, not only with a job, but then happened to explain to my parents that I got a job in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I went in as a, a lounge boy originally, kind of like a bus boy, just yeah. you know, cleaning out ashtrays yeah. and picking so up everyone starts. And stuff. Yeah. And within, I guess, probably about six months, I was working behind the bar, and that kind of, you know, that was the only real proper job I had ever had. Right? Like, I mean. 
even until now, right? Like it's always been within the booze industry. I spent a little bit of time playing music and, you know, I kind of had some jobs based around that, but, you know, nothing massively long-term. Um, but I guess it really kind of took off for me. I went to work for this place called the K Club. Yeah. At Claire Hotel and Country Club, which is was this like five-star golf resort thing near where I, I uh, live. And, you know, they used to host the European Open all the time. They ride a cup one year. Oh, crazy. And uh, lovely little bar in there. And, you know, my aunt worked there and she got me a job. And we had an incredible bar manager, but he was really big on education. You know, like you were in a bar with, you know, two, 300 bottles on the back bar, which really didn't exist at, at that time. Yeah. Certainly not in our area of the country. And if you were serving it, you had to know it. So he was really big on, you know, tests all the time and had this huge, huge folder that you had to memorize. And from <laughs> that, I mean, you know, I was, I was a young man. Like if I, by that point I was like 18, 19, you know, so I'd go to the bar for a couple of drinks, but it was, you know, beer. Right. Yeah. And I really just kind of got, I loved the story in the background around spirits, but whiskey in particular was one that really, really, you know, drew me in and. I remember my my mom's, you know, dad and mom would kind of sit and they'd have like a glass of whiskey every now and again. Uh, obviously, you know, growing up so close to the Kilbegan whiskey distillery that, you know, whiskey was kind of all around, right? And, you know, it's really Ireland's national spirit. Absolutely. So it kind of just, yeah, snowballed from there. And then, you know, I kind of moved around a little bit and ended up in Canada and uh, went to work for a really great bar downtown Toronto called the Irish Embassy. And... They had a great, actually a really great Irish whiskey collection. And it was kind of nice being able to, you know, come for a place where I could slip into a bar in a new country, but speak for, feel like I could speak with some authority on what we were doing. Because I didn't know any of the beers, right? They weren't available in, in Ireland. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, half of the food things. I thought a Caesar was a salad. Like there was all <laughs> Well, it is a salad, but it's, it all, yeah, a salad right? but it's also yeah. a delicious breakfast cocktail as well. I actually have, <laughs> I have a really good story. <laughs> I, I have a guy one time who made somebody wait 15 minutes for a Caesar while they ordered them a salad because they thought it was a drink. <laughs> because, <laughs> this is why, you, this is why, or what happens when you bring Irish people over here. Um, but, you know, one day, kind of out of the blue, my boss came to me and he said he had this group coming through and they wanted to do a whiskey tasting. Just wanted someone to come up, lead them through like four or five different Irish whiskeys. And, you know, what I'd be interested in, in doing it. Like, you know, there was an extra... 40 or 50 bucks and I furby on my shift or whatever. Yeah. It's like, sure, man. Like, you know, absolutely. And I mean, I spent a lot of my life on stage and I love the adrenaline of being on stage. And it was the closest I've ever come to being on a stage playing music. And I just loved it. I thought it was amazing. So we ended up starting to kind of do it more often and it became something that we maybe not promoted a whole lot, but it was available for people if they wanted to, you know, come and do an event. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, from there, I just got more and more and more into the actual process of hosting tastings. I started up a small little tasting business here from, from my apartment and I do, you know, 10 or 12 tastings a year just for extra couple bucks. And then, you know, I ended up going to work for Delta Hotels, opening up Char Number 5 Whiskey Bar. Um, and they kind of gave me pretty much free reign to do whatever I wanted with it. And originally, it was going to be a only Canadian whiskey, but, you know, and we kind of started to expand out to you know, almost 500 and something whiskeys worldwide. Um, and ended up yeah, being a really, really cool bar. And I was able to get great exposure to a lot of, you know, a lot of the people that are going to be coming on as your guests, right? Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, learn, learn, learn from all of them. And then here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and like you said, the 
like the, the the ambassador in the whiskey culture in this country is a super knowledgeable one. So, and it, it seems to be a common a common story or, or sentiment, being that I kind of engulfed myself in the culture and then just soaked in everything that uh, that everyone that worked kind of in the industry had to offer. Right. Absolutely. And when you get people who work in anything niche, you know, and kind of to equate a little bit to, to you know, music, right? Like if you're a musician, there's nothing better than hanging around with musicians because you're all, you all have the same feeling towards what you do. Yeah. I think the whiskey ambassador crew, especially the one we have here in Canada, I mean, these are all people that are, you know, whiskey is top of mind, right? And that's their thing. And, you know, it's, they're also just a really, really great bunch of people. Like so welcoming. You know, I mean, we talk, on a daily basis as a group almost. Right. So yeah, it's uh, it really is a great group of people to be around. When you all live, there's a, there's a bunch of you that actually live fairly close to one another too. Andrew was kind of telling us about that. <laughs> yeah. So I've got in like my building is like two towers. Yeah. And I'm in this one. Cameron from the engineering group is in the other one. Andrew is like a block down the street. Brian from <laughs> Ardbeg is, you know, a couple blocks the other way. Um, <laughs> Just going on your yeah, balconies, like, shouting at each other. We're all pretty cool. <laughs> Cameron and I have done that. That has definitely happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he gives me a reason to. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a really good time with Cameron. He's that guy. He's is, oh, he's honestly one of the most yeah. well articulated people I've ever talked yeah. to in the industry. And he's like exuberant and it just a ton of awesome energy out of that guy. Yeah, it's for sure. It's not all personality, but you get that. Like I've said, you get you kind of get that in everyone. Obviously, a little bit unique, but all the brand ambassadors, country are just all super fascinating people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because like it's the same story, but it's completely different as well. Like it it it's it's like everybody started with you know either in the bar or a niche little even more niche area of the whiskey world, and then they just grew and then. Obviously, now they all live within three blocks. Of each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like you get that part of your package when you get, yeah. um, <laughs> you get initiated yeah. into the ambassador group. You're like, must Credit live in the air miles and keys to an apartment in one area. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, what, um, what was your, obviously, you started off drinking Irish whiskey. What was, uh, what, what was the first Irish whiskey that you were kind of impartial to when you, when you first started drinking? You know, as far as my first whiskey to taste, I honestly don't remember. I just don't. Um, I could take a guess and say that it was probably one of either Powers, Paddy, or maybe Kilbegan. One of one of the three of those for sure. Just kind of, you know, that was really what we sold around our area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what would be one of those ones? I remember, though, I just used to love the smell. Like, I still can see my grandfather sitting at the table in in their like little kitchen yeah, range yeah. behind him with his like glass of whiskey in front of him. I just the smell off it. And there was just something about it that just was really, really, really enticing. Right. And even now I'll find I do it, right? Like I'll pour a glass of whiskey and it could be an hour before I sip it. So I'll just sit there sniffing it. We're exactly the I, same way. I, I, I enjoy nosing whiskey more than I do drinking it in some cases. And, and you can see so much evolution in the whiskey just from the notes. Oh, I and know. Over the course of, you know, 10, 15, 30, 50 minutes, right? Like you can really, really see what a whiskey has to give just on the nose. Yeah, actually, I was watching, um, it was the day after the Canadian Whiskey Awards. 
and I caught a little bit of Davin talking about they were going over the 43-year-old Canadian club that won. And they were saying, like, when you pour a glass, especially a new whiskey, pour two. One, you can start sipping right away, and the other one just leave until you're done that first glass. And you can go back and see. And he said, even though that last little bit in that first glass is the same amount of time, it'll be different than the one that's just been sitting there for an hour or whatever. And like when I first got into whiskey, I was never like that. I'd get home and before my shoes were off, I was peeling the wrap. <laughs> I want to yeah. try this right yeah. now. Right out of the bottle, just but, neck pouring it down. Yeah. Right? But now like, especially like some of the, some of the weirdos that you find and you, you get and yeah, set it down, let it air out. And like the, the Deanston that we brought in or that you brought in for the club, the single cast. Yeah. Um, the first first time yeah, I drank it right away, but then that night I poured myself literally three quarters of a Glen Cairn and I crawled into bed. My wife had to get up early, so I was just watching TV and it took two hours to get through it, but it literally changed every time I yeah. sipped it. And it's oh, fascinating how that works because, uh, you know, a can of Coke doesn't do that. <laughs> the way I look at it is that, you know, there's so much time and, and patience really that goes into making that, you know, from when it was a piece of corn until end, when it end up in your barrel or in your glass. So, you know, I like to approach the tasting with the same, you know, mindset, right? Like, you know, be patient with it. And, you know, it's, it still has quite a lot to give. So, you know, I find that the, the more patient you are with the whiskey, the more you get from it. Yeah. And it like the profiles just, they, um, they, they morph and evolve and it's just like, it's, it's so much more of an adventure than just, yeah, just popping the cork and diving right in. And a lot, a lot of people, so not everyone has the patience to do it, but yeah, I'll, I'll, sure. sometimes, sometimes just a, a simple little pour of mine will last me an entire movie just cause I will nose it for the first hour and a half and then sip it for the last half an hour. Like-minded people. See, I like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just, yeah, it, it just, it's such, if you, I feel like if you just let the nose do its thing, it's just such a better gateway to the palate and the palate just shines so much more if you just let it, I don't know, just let, let it air, let it breathe, let it, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't really have an explanation. You also it, don't have to worry too much about like the, any of the, the volatile aspects of the whiskey kind of affecting you and tiring you out too much. Right. I mean, as long as you're tasting properly and not kind of, you know, snorting the whiskey down through your nose. <laughs> well, right? sometimes like, Sean does that. I have a big but, nose. It yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, you can really see, I mean, like you put out, you know, an Irish, a Canadian, a Japanese, a Scotch and, you know, an American whiskey, put them out and just work off the nose alone. You can really start to see the development, but you know, certainly a lot more than if you were to drink an ounce of each of those consecutively. By the time you get to the last one, you know, your palate's going to be a little bit tired, right? Yeah. yeah and uh, I mean, I find like, now that everything's virtual and to try and get your money's worth for everybody drinking, like we're doing eight to 10 drams and like we only set aside two hours for it. So a lot well, of times yeah. by the time you get to it and obviously like the way tastings are usually laid out, you start with, you know, the 40%, you know, entry level way up to the cast strength or peated or, and a lot of times, like by the time you get to that 62% cast strength, your palate's already not blown, but it's hard to get the full nuance out of that then. But I mean, that's kind of where we are in the world. And back to the patience thing, I have lots of people that message me and they'll be like, you know, you talk so highly of this whiskey. I, I got it and I poured it and I drank it and I don't, I don't mesh with it. 
So we'll next time pour it and let it sit for half an hour. Let it air out. Yeah. So come, come lick my mustache. Cause yeah. it's got yeah, lots of <laughs> <laughs> very, very strange sentences. <laughs> That's where it usually ends up. Cause he's <laughs> stuck nosing it so much. What happens in Edmonton? What? <laughs> it's very cool. We don't, we don't, yeah, we don't have enough time to actually go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so when, when did you, uh, when did you start exactly with beam Suntory? I start with beam. Uh, it'll be, it'll be three years in May. Awesome. Yeah, so May of 2018. So it's been, yeah. Been a while. So when, it, when, um, when did B, when, or when did Suntory, it was 2017 that they purchased Beam, right? The purchase was 2014. 14? Yeah, sorry, 14. Yeah. Yeah. In my position beforehand, obviously, you know, Matt Jones was the, the, the guy, be all end all. It yeah. Was, uh, it was kind of tough shoes to fill. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, there's been a lot of growth with it. Um, if you're a whiskey person, it's probably the best company that you can work for, right? Like, you know, the, the range and the portfolio is so large. Um, and also you've got some incredibly storied brands as well, right? And, you know, I think there's a really good culture around whiskey in, in uh, Beam Centauri. And, you know, it comes from all aspects of the business. It's, it's really, really cool. Well, yeah, they have some brand, they have a lot of brands that have just have been around for, for ages in ages like it's yeah i mean if you think just putting together beam and suntory yeah, like yeah. just those two companies that's like 350 years combined. <laughs> yeah that's, that's from crazy. two distilleries yeah <laughs> you know it's crazy it's yeah it's it's yeah it's almost overwhelming to think about like it's just crazy and that kind of yeah. leads us into the next question that we have is what does the beam suntory portfolio encompass uh, so it's a pretty broad uh, portfolio. You know, as far as whiskey production goes, we're really the only company that both own and operate distilleries in the five major whiskey making regions, right? So in here in Canada, we have two incredible brands of whiskey, right? You've got Canadian Club, which I mean is, you know, was, was so pivotal in the foundation of Canada, right? As like, after uh, Confederation. Mm-hmm. And you've also got like, what I think is probably one of the biggest workhorse distilleries, but also the most overlooked distillery in the world uh, out in, in Calgary, which is Alberta Distillers. Right. I mean, you know, now they're definitely starting to get a lot of attention. Yeah. Right. But I mean, they've been making whiskey to this, of this caliber for so long. Yeah. They have. And, you know, people just overlooked it. And I mean, I remember when I first came on, I was talking to my boss at the time uh, who now actually works on the ADL desk and, you know, I was like, I'm so excited to be working in a company that has Alberta distillers because Alberta Premium is an incredible whiskey. It is, and they've been uh, nobody propping makes up. Rye like the- Sorry, they've been propping up brands in the in the United States for quite some time now with oh, no yeah. with no real accolades to kind of show for themselves, right? Yeah, it's uh, you know, what what they put out is incredible, and it's really, really, really great to see that start to grow for them and for you know people to start to kind of take notice of what they do. Um, and also for people to, you know, look, you're obviously going to, whenever a brand gets a lot of attention, you're going to have the people who, you know, go out and purchase bottles just for the sake of purchasing bottles that got attention. Yeah. But now you're also seeing people who are really kind of almost kicking themselves about the fact that, you know, they haven't been drinking it for so long and it's been right under, under their noses at such an amazing cost. 
I'm the other. I'm the opposite. I when it first came out that cast strength, I got three of them last year. Yeah, the first one I grabbed and I opened it. I was like, this what? This is crazy. This is so good. So I went and bought two more. And thankfully I did because I came home from work the day after the award was announced and I went to 14 stores. Oh God. And I found one. (laughs) And it was, we were getting it for like $50, like for 50 bucks, that cast strength was ridiculous for that price. Absolutely ridiculous. uh, No, it's, it's really great to kind of see them getting what kind of what they deserve or at least getting on their way to getting what they deserve. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. The, The one thing that's been really cool too, is seeing like on, on the, in the Instagram world, is a lot of the like the, the bourbon community on, on instagram is massive in the night in the united states and yeah. you've seen that uh, the alberta premium cast strength pop up on all their feeds and they're it's just fun seeing uh, like how blown away they are by it because they've only they've only been able to see it from afar and try it through whistle pig and, and some of these other ones but that like that that release from them is like exactly what they're capable of basically like it's, it's just perfect it's it's killer and you know what i mean like that that has been an incredible whiskey but i still maintain the the original alberta premium is fantastic the 20 year old i thought was very overshadowed because it came out pretty much the exact same time it did yeah yeah, yeah. um but i i really really liked 20 year old really did um as with Canadian Club's 20-year-old, I think it's probably a bang for your buck, one of the best Canadian whiskeys on the market. Yeah, the Canadian Club 20-year-old for sure. And it's, yeah, it sits for a pretty deadly cheap. Like, like you can't. 60, 70 yeah, bucks, Yeah, exactly. Like it, yeah, for sure. The the AP20 um, didn't, it didn't really grow on me. I don't, I don't know why. No, no I, st- I really struggled with it for some well, this reason. This is the great thing about pilots, right? Exa- yeah, for yeah, sure. We all, we all got one. I know. And, you know everybody's <laughs> going to be different. I know. But this is the good thing, right? Because it, it drives conversation around whiskey. And, you know, it, it also, I think now, especially as we're starting to see the markets get a little bit more educated, it's driving really good conversation around products. And people are starting to really get to grips with what their palate is and what it is that they like and, you know, why they like certain things and why they don't like other things, right? And, you know, we're not seeing, although you do see it a lot, but you're not seeing so much people just blatantly dismissing something as no that's not good yeah you see people more leaning towards that it's not for me it's not meshing with me it's not sitting with me and that is how we should be approaching yeah that's and that's the pro that is the more respectful way of doing it i think because everybody's working to create a product that everybody loves and they're working hard to do that and we've been talking about this i feel a lot lately within like our group of friends and and with the ambassadors because it's you don't like there's no reason to come out and just say this is crap. And we we've all been all been guilty. I think it was with AP twenty that I was I had a lot to drink that night. And <laughs> and unfortunately my phone was at the end of my fingertips and I posted a picture of it and I was like, man, don't like it, kind of thing or whatever. Not good. And then I got shit for it. <laughs> and then and then I went back I went back to it and back to it and back to it. And yeah, it just came down to it's like it's it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's awful. I'm just saying it's not for me. Right. And that's, and that, that, and that's okay. That. And that, and people need to, cause the other thing too, is everybody. And I find in social media would just, they're kind of afraid to speak their full opinion because they don't want to, maybe they don't want to be disrespectful. They don't want to hurt any feelings, but at the same time, it's that like that honest feedback is, is okay. And a lot of the brands would probably appreciate to hear Listen. instead of just, I like it, post a picture of it and say, love it, love it, love it. You can't possibly love everything. 
And you know, like you, you like what you like, right? I mean, it's it's okay to not like a thirty year old whiskey, and it's and it's okay to love a three year old whiskey. Absolutely, right? Like you know, and I like to say, like I've tasted some really young whiskeys over the last year that I've been getting from buddies and some of that, just little samples, and some of them have been mind blowingly good, right? Like you know, not you're not going to get the same interaction you're going to get with a thirty year old whiskey, right? But it's still going to present flavors that if you like them, you like them, right? So I mean, it's. It's kind of cool. I, I love talking through whiskeys with people and seeing people's reactions to them. And, you know, I mean, to me, like, you know, if you don't like something and you don't like it, then that's, that's all right. Right. But you know, I, I kind of like to encourage people to talk through it and figure out why it is they don't like it, what it is they don't like about it. And that will usually help to pave your journey a little bit easier. Right. Well, exactly. And like, I find, especially online and in bigger groups, Facebook groups and stuff like that, it's, when people, I, I question people when they say, "Oh, that's that's garbage" yeah. or whatever. That's and the I'm keyboard like, courage well, where like, they're just like, "Yeah, like yeah. why? Tell me why you don't like it, and I'll tell you why I do like it." And then, not only, like, I'm not showing them up at all. That's not my intention, but it's to create that conversation. And then, if they say, "Oh, it's you know, it's oh, it's that grainy metallic note," I was like, "Okay, well then, why don't you try this? Because I find this has way less of it." And it's just a way to steer them in, instead of them just chucking that bottle down the drain and turning off of a whole section of whiskey, like the conversation steers it and you can make a lot more people a lot more happy by being not even professional, just being courteous to one another. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also, I mean, look, play with your whiskey, right? Like, you know, there's there's no shame in adding something to your whiskey to make it more enjoyable for you. Right, like you know, if if you want to throw some ice in there and you will enjoy it more with some ice in there, then fill her up. Right, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if you'll if if it's too hot for you, add water. Right, because yeah. you you might actually find that you enjoy it more. Yeah, and then you're going to say, well, okay, well, I add water every now and again. You're just because you have to add water to it again, it doesn't mean that it's not a good whiskey. It means that for you to get your level of enjoyment out of it, you got to put a little bit of water in, or you put ice in, or you know whatever throw some milk in there like if you're enjoying it who cares man <laughs> throw some milk in there well like the one the one whiskey group i'm a part of there it's literally <laughs> rule number one the whiskey you like is the whiskey you like the way you like it yeah absolutely and you can't tell somebody that they can't drink it away because if that's what they like like my wife does not drink whiskey at all and she sat down i got two tasting packs for like a crazy bunahaven tasting and she put ice in every single one of them but she was able to pull out the notes that I was finding by adding ice to it. And she's like, these are really good whiskeys. And before that she would have like nosed it and been like, yeah, it smells good. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I actually make, I actually blended the, uh, like when I was first trying the AP 20, cause I was trying, I was I'm doing exactly that. Trying to figure out what I didn't like about it, where I was getting the, whatever foul I was getting off it. And I actually mix it. I actually blended it half and half with the cast strength and loved it. <laughs> so a little higher, a little more alcohol, and you were good to go. Yeah, maybe, maybe just need. Yeah, maybe it needed that little more cast strength depth to it, and and maybe yeah. that. Yeah, maybe that's what it was missing. But but yeah, like you said, just whatever. Have, have fun. Yeah, have yeah. fun with it. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, kind of get, kind of get back to your original question. Like you know, we we do see this a lot within Beam because we have whiskeys from so many different countries. That you're getting so many different opinions. Oh, for sure. Different levels, right? I mean, you know, obviously I mentioned the Canadian companies there, but I mean, we have Quebec and Irish whiskey distillery uh at home which is you know very very much my my home distillery so to speak right like it's super close to where i grew up yeah um, and you know with 
even from there, you know, you've got such an incredible range of products from the Kilbegan brand to the Tyrconnell brand to the Connemara brand. And then, you know, when we get to Scotland, right? Like, you know, places like Bomore, Freug, Akintoshin, you know, they couldn't be more different right there from oh, Freug and Akintoshin, right? It's such a diverse portfolio. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, we have obviously our partnership with the Edgerton Group, which is fantastic having, you know, their brands available to us. And, you know, the, the Japanese whiskey has, you know, I think we're really going to start seeing Japanese whiskey come into a huge stride now that it's officially a defined spirit and they know exactly what they're working with. Uh, but, you know, Yamazaki, Hakushu, and Cheetah out there. And then obviously in the States, we have Jim Beam Maker's Mark. Well, and, and Suntory was a, um, they were a big kind of driving uh, presence behind the the regulatories and stuff like that because it's not it's not a government thing it's kind of more like an association thing right and Suntory is kind of at the center of it is that what it is uh, yeah it's essentially essentially um, you know it's kind of like what the SWA do right like it was uh, you know for Suntory to be involved in it so heavily like you have to also kind of keep in mind the fact that that's where it started right like Shinjiro Tori and Masataka Takazuru like. You know, they really got the ball rolling on the idea of Japanese whiskey actually being a thing, right? Like, you know, now we're practically a hundred years later, ninety-eight years later. Yeah, right. And it's it's good to kind of see. I mean, it's it's weird. I, I was talking to our uh, one of our Hassanori ambassadors down in the states like two years ago or a year ago, and he was saying that you know it's wild. Like when he started representing those brands, he could walk around Manhattan with a dolly loaded up four or five cases of Yamazaki 12 year old. And he could <laughs> beg bars. Like we'll give it to you for free. If you please stock it and sell it in your bar. Jesus. Like, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. <laughs> and now, <laughs> you know, you, you can't find a bottle of it, right? No. And it's like, a hundred, yeah, it's a hundred and whatever dollars when you do like it's, yeah, so it's, it's really great to kind of see that kind of, you know, th- th- that there's room for a new world of whiskey. Well, yeah, and they're they're no longer, yeah, they're, like you said, they're not a new world of whiskey anymore. They're standing, no. they're they're one of the towers in in the industry, and people are people go crazy for for Japanese, and and we we just did a Japanese tasting just with some like smaller brands recently, and we've never we never really introduced the club to Japanese whiskey because we don't get a huge selection of it here. Yeah. So so it was it was it was just Shinobu and Kyojuro, which are just smaller brands, but it was it was fun. It was interesting. Like they have all these genres have such really, really cool things to kind of offer the whiskey world. And I, I say it all the time. You are, you are stupid to be narrow minded on one genre, like explore the world. It's like, there's such a vast world to, uh, to explore when it comes to whiskey. It's just crazy. I can't like people that say, I only drink bourbon. I only drink scotch. I want to smack him in the face. (laughs) Yeah. You're missing out. I know. And and maybe, yeah. Okay. Then there's more for me because you're not drinking it. Yeah. But <laughs> there is that sort of things as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I like it better when we we all sit around the table and drink a, a variety of things and, and it creates more discussion and, and more fun and, and it's, all that. And kind it's of experience, stuff. right? It's an experience. And that's really what it's supposed to be about. Yeah, for sure. So we could, uh, we could probably talk for 10 hours about all the brands <laughs> that you represent. Yeah. Let's, um, we've, we haven't really talked like specifically bourbon on this podcast yet. So I, I want to kind of stick to Jim Beam. Just because that's that's more or less the center, I would say the center of of your your ambassadorship, even like well, just because of all the brands and what Jim Beam represents. So I don't yeah. like maybe can you give us the give us a quick Jim Beam story and its uh, 
significance in the world for for those people that don't that yeah just don't know don't you know, I, mean, I, I think you know the beam family have been very instrumental in not just really the creation of bourbon as a subcategory of whiskey but also the continuation of that category through some really rough times right i mean you know you have to look at the fact that you know there was prohibition which you know we're all very aware of and the effect that had on the industry but you also had the american civil war two world wars like all of these things impacted the industry highly whether it was through increases in taxes whether it was through stopping production to create different alcohols for the war effort you know all of these things really affected it and i think the beam family along with you know a couple others they they never let themselves waver right i mean they've been making whiskey in the state of kentucky since 1795 and at all times they've kept quality as their minimum standard right like you know Quality has to be kept at all times. Nothing will ever waver if it's going to be done in the you know, in a way that can ever compromise the quality of the liquid. You know, and that's done out of pure respect for the generations beforehand, but also for the consumers, right? You know, the last thing we ever want to do is pull the wool over someone's eye. I think it's kind of gross, you know, <laughs> yeah. when when companies do things and aren't you know transparent about what it is that they do, right? Agreed. Um, and you know, the bourbon industry protects the consumer against that as well, right? Like, you know, we're not allowed to put additives in there. You know, not, I call it a bourbon. And if you do, you're going to be in big trouble, right? Um, but I think, you know, the, the Beam family have always been pretty great at pushing the envelope of bourbon and, you know, pushing it forward, right? And, you know, after the Samuels, I mean, Maker's Mark is always another brand that I represent. You know, the Samuels family really kind of introduced the whole idea of having that luxury premium bourbon. And then the Beam family kind of took it from there and brought another step forward into the super premium world of things. But, you know, the introduction of the small batch collection of Basil and Knob Creek and Bakers and Bookers, obviously. Um, and then everything from there, like the innovation within each of those brands and pushing them out. And all of that has been bolstered by the success of Jim Beam, right? And, you know, I, I think over the last year, uh, because I've been doing a lot more of these, um, you know, tastings online and stuff and, you know, uh, I kind of use it as an opportunity to kind of reintroduce people to just Jim Beam White. Mm-hmm. Right. And the basics. I think what, yeah. just, just the standard run of the mill Jim Beam White. And honestly, it's been really, really cool. Um, finding people who have that opinion of no, I won't drink that. You know, <laughs> I hate that. Opinion. I drank that when I was 19. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, you're 19. Your, your palate's not developed to the stage that it's going to be when you're at 40, no. right? And it's been really cool seeing people go back to it and appreciate the flavors that are in it and also appreciate, you know, the brand. And, you know, if you're looking for something that's going to give off those heavy wooden flavors from uh, that you're going to get from a 12-year-old bourbon, you can't ever expect a four or five-year-old bourbon to give that to you. It's not going to do it. What you can look at that four or five-year-old bourbon and do is say, well, what is it going to give me that the 12-year-old isn't? Right, you're going to actually get to see the mash bill. You're going to get to see the grain, right? And like, what's the whole point of putting so much attention and detail into creating that mash bill if all of your products are going to cover it up with all of those heavy wood sugars coming through, right? So we want that grain to show through. And I think Jim Beam White is a great example of that. And then having Jim Beam Black, which is just across that line of where the wood sugars start to take over from the grain, mm-hmm. having those that are you can do side by side, really, I think shows you exactly what can happen in the evolution of flavors within bourbon and how quickly it can happen. 
absolutely yeah like the and bourbon i find has a real i don't know from from being the the typical two to four years whether it be just a like a basic straight or or bottled bond like when you when you go from that to the bottled bond and then you go from bottled bond to kind of a six to eight and then you go to that eight to twelve it's like a bourbon changes so much in those age ranges like they're completely tastes like completely different spirits in my eyes and i always say like the sweet i think the perfect sweet spot for bourbon is between eight and 12 years kind of depending on when you pull it off yeah but it's we'll, we'll generally it's a fun adventure with that yeah it's yeah. a fun adventure kind of going through the different ages of uh, and steps of aging the bourbon and it is and it's a i mean the rate of maturation in kentucky is incredible yeah oh, it really sure. is right i mean you're getting like, those winters are cold, man. Like, they are. Yeah. And those summers are hot as hot. hell. Yeah. So when you have that incredible temperature variance over the course of a year and everything in between that, on top of the fact that you're using brand new barrels, you're going to see a huge increase or a huge rate of maturation going on. And it is amazing to see, you know, even at times what six months will do. Because it's hard when you're looking at Irish whiskey or Scotch whiskey sometimes to see, like, you won't notice a six-month gap. Right. Yeah. But you can notice it sometimes within bourbon. And all the, all the Jim Beam rickhouses, are they all just, ex- they're all completely exposed to the elements? Yeah. For the most part. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of them that kind of on the actual campus, yeah. uh, there's a couple of them that are, you know, a little, not directly shaded, but they do have a little bit of forestry around it. Okay. Um, but I mean, yeah, for the most part, and, and those ones, they're more like single barrel warehouses where you pull out a single barrel products from. Yeah. 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 Um, but for the most part, they're open. They're just, I mean, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been to Kentucky, but you drive through rural Kentucky and it's just these fields and hills everywhere with just these exposed buildings sitting on top. <laughs> I know I've heard. And I'm Baking supposed it to, all in. It's amazing. Yeah. I was supposed to go this year and I'm still going to try cause it's, I turned 40 this year and wife and I were going to plan on taking a trip, but which I'll be calling you to maybe set up some some sort of cool <laughs> tour while we're down there. If, but if, if we're open, you just you just give me a call. Now. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll definitely be knocking on your door. Um, the the one like the vast, and like you said, it's all hills and just rick houses and rick houses, all these buildings and stuff. But like, how how many how many does Jim Beam have? I've heard it's just fields of it, and they had that fire two year two years ago now. Yes, that was that was over in Woodford County. That yes, yeah. one of our kind of uh, over there did the, the kind of the old crow area of things. But it was um, a drop in the bucket as far as their loss. Like it was obviously a, a substantial loss, but in the grand scheme of things, it was such a small percentage because they have so much liquid aging. Yeah, it it, it was. I mean, look, like you know, the obviously the. The loss of product is is always going to be tough. Yeah, uh, I think the one thing and what our biggest concern was was the environmental impact that you can have of that much liquid alcohol seeping into the ground and into the rivers and stuff in the waterways. Uh, and yeah, for sure, it, exactly. And and it did. It it had a you know an awful impact. And you know we're we are still you know making sure that we're doing everything possible to not only prevent it happening again, which I mean really you know not really much you can do about a lightning strike. No, you can't. But, um, you know, to kind of see any other ways that we can protect the buildings in the case of an event like that. Um, but I mean, I think for, for volume, you know, roughly around about 10 million bottles, um, was what was lost. Yeah. And but, what, what percentage you know, of that was only like less than a percent of the total volume. Yeah, it, it, it would be yeah, pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> so um, crazy. Which that and, I just, and the, yeah. the good thing for us though, is that it was 
most of it was pretty new liquid. It was yeah, like really young spirit. So not yeah. Okay. Yeah. If if that was ten or twelve year old whiskey, it would be a you oh, know a much bigger loss. But you would <laughs> you would have had Kentuckiers out there uh, sip like drinking the ri- drinking <laughs> the river water, licking yeah. the ground with straws, I chasing been on it. The first flight down and yeah. join them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with their decanters and buckets, just <laughs> filling it and taking it home <laughs> if it was yeah. aged. <laughs> so now they've touched on Jim Beam a little bit. Um, I have to ask: Is there a rivalry between Jack Daniels and Jim Beam? Obviously, being the two most well-known American whiskey brands, like a rivalry. Yeah, like, um, every, I think everyone's always like everyone always is curious if there's like an actual living rivalry between the two, or is it just, or or do they do they work they work together on things? Are they because it's it's either Jack, um, you're either Jack or Jim. Yeah, like there's, I guess there's a couple different ways of, of looking at it, right? I mean, you know, I guess if you were to look at it from a commercial point of view and just basing it purely on sales, and you know, any brand who's around your numbers, uh, in particular, anything if you've had anything that's ahead of you, is going to be something that you're looking to catch up on and overtake, right? Yeah. Um, within, you know, we also look at the fact that you know, however we view it, like it's not a bourbon. So, you know, we're, you know, it's, it's a Tennessee whiskey, right? So we kind of, but they were talking a lot that, within the, the bourbon world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were talking that they were actually going to change, change it to state that they are bourbon. Does that like, would that, that might change? They'd have to change how they make yeah, the product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but you know, I, I think really in, in reality, like certainly from my end of things, right? Yeah. Like in the way I view it, no, absolutely not. There's no, we don't get anywhere by having rivals, you know, no, the more no, we're all working sure. together to push our categories forward. And they've seen a category of American whiskey forward. Yeah. And that's really to be the goal of everybody. So, you know, from the way I look at it, I don't, I don't see it. As and not, not necessarily like a pitch pitchfork rivalry, but more of a, yeah. like it's a, there's obviously like healthy competitiveness and the market is good. And it's just like yeah. the Coke, Coke and Pepsi, right? Coke. And in the whiskey, in American whiskey world, Jack, Jack and Jim, that's just right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't, I, I certainly have never viewed it that way. I would never viewed it as being okay. like a, a rival. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, look, when we're doing live events and stuff like that. We poke fun at each other all the time. Um, we also have to remember the fact that like, <laughs> you know, the person representing Jack Daniels and the person representing Jim Beam are probably really tight friends. Oh, probably. And, yeah. they're, and they're poking fun at each other more than the brands. Right. And that's that healthy so, competitiveness uh, kind of thing. right? It, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's a healthy competitiveness, And that's probably the best way you can put it. Well, and you you're on the good side because you're not charcoal filtered or uh, or anything like that, L- right? The Lincoln County process. <laughs> hey, yeah. good for them. They yeah. got your thing. Good, you know? good, good for them. Yeah, <laughs> I thought they they make good products. Right? Oh, they do they for were, sure. I grew they up drinking the test junk. Time, yeah, right. And you can never you, you can't really crap on that, right? When especially when I was re well, we were uh, what were we talking about? We we're talking about famous grouse. And they just recently took over as being the the most um, the most drank and or drunken whiskey spirit uh, in UK. I think it was all the UK, but they took it over from Jack Daniels, which is it's crazy when you think about it because it's like that's that's Scotch land, it's single malt land, and Jack Daniels was the most consumed spirit in the country, <laughs> right? I, I remember growing up in Ireland, like the the most consumed beer was Budweiser. <laughs> yeah. That, that is, yeah. That, oh man, that boggles my mind. <laughs> it's, it's not something you think about, really, right? But yeah. you know, um, but also you know, there's it's weird a lot of the time, right? Like 
domestic products generally tend to be looked down upon wherever they're domestic products. Right. So, I mean, you know, over here, yeah. people, people will look at things like, you know, I'm not going to mention any brands, but let's say a big yeah. beer brand, Canada, they'll look at it and go, no, we're not drinking that. Right. But that's the import in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. Like right? most, so, so most the, the view is a little like bit that. different. Right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but when I, when I heard that news about Clemens Krauss, like that, that's a myth. You want to talk about that's, overlooked brands of whiskey? Oh, absolutely. Famous Krauss. Yeah. It's an overlooked brand of whiskey outside of the UK. You you won't get an argument from us because it is it is such a drinkable, delicious blended whiskey, and it's awesome. it's nice to see the blends kind of coming back into the limelight because they they were getting shit on for years and they didn't like they did not deserve it. It's such I don't know. We we enjoy blends. We talk about blended yeah. whiskey all the time in our circles. So, and you know, I think with a lot of a lot of that. You know, I, you know, I actually talked to, you know, Cameron actually would be a great example. I've had this conversation with him a million times is that, you know, one of the big things that really drives us in the industry is the education, but it's to educate people about things like, you know, the word blend doesn't mean subpar. It's just another process and another style of making your whiskey. Right. And yeah. I think the more educated the consumer base gets, you start to see some of these overlooked brands really start to be appreciated because people now know what, what they're about. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we, we find, you know, with having a podcast and talking about whiskey every single episode that we're trying to dispel the same myths that you guys are as ambassadors with, you know, some of our favorite whiskeys that we drink daily is our blends. And yeah. The, I mean, it tends to be a budget thing, but it's also a, a gateway to get into the the different kinds of like blended Irish whiskey. Like they're usually the lowest cost, but you get a sense of what Irish whiskey can be from those blends. And I'm same as Scotch. A hill that I am very prepared to die on <laughs> is that price will never dictate quality within whiskey. Mm, yeah. No. Ever. Right. Some styles of making whiskey are just more expensive to make than others. Right. It's just naturally how it is. Some companies are real good at marketing their products. Yeah. Right. To, to make it seem like they're a bit more than they are. More prestigious right? than they are. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and hey, good for them. You know, they've, they've managed Absolutely. to do it. But, yeah. you know, price might dictate rarity of your, your product, but never quality. You, you're the only person who can ever decide what the quality of it is. Well, and not, not to mention there, every country has different tax hurdles and, and then, and then you work in volumes, obviously craft craft suppliers and, and distillers are good. Their overheads are going to be higher per bottle than, than they will out of Absolutely. some of the bigger brands. So there's, there's so many contributing factors that yes, price should not drive your judgment at all ever. Yeah. Never. No, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speaking of, so, well, speaking of price, cause we wanted to kind of sip on something while, sure. while we we're talking. So let's, let's get into it. Um, you wanted to kind of touch on the Knob Creek nine year and yeah. you're, you're going to be, I'm, I'm doing some sacrilegious here cause I'm pouring it actually out of a pink Whitney bottle because my cork <laughs> broke on the weekend and I had to transfer it to the only other clean bottle I had. <laughs> so I'm going to pour this, uh. Brown looking this pink may Whitney. be a first. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. It's funny because I was like, oh, I've, I didn't have any extra corks, or there's no wine corks left, and we we're just packing up because we we're in in Bam or in Canmore for the weekend. And I was like, screw it, wash out that pink Whitney bottle. <laughs> I'm pouring it in. It'll just confuse people when I pour it for them. Is all. Yeah, I really enjoy it. Like, what the hell? <laughs> um, yeah, this doesn't taste like alcohol. 
<laughs> like grapefruit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So tell us, um, cause there's been, well, it, it's been re-released, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's of- essentially a re-release. So, you know, Knob Creek was part of this, this small batch collection, um, which, you know, I guess the release dates came from anywhere between 87 when Booker's was released to 92 when the, the final ones were released. Um, and it's been on the market since, you know, since 1992, but about four or five years ago, that a statement was uh, removed from it. That's now there right. was, I mean, a lot of work put into, all right, how can we remove the age statement from this and make sure there's still availability, but not sacrifice the quality and not sacrifice the taste. So you know, the whiskey makers put a lot of time and effort into making sure that you wouldn't taste the difference between the nine-year-old and the, the small batch. Yeah. For, for us, I think one of the big things with this is that we're now being able to return it to the vision that Booker Noah had for this product. Yeah. Right. And Booker was really proud of, you know, releasing Knob Creek. He was proud to have something that was aged that high and was show, able to show off so much wooden features without getting too over the top, right? And getting too dry and bitter. He was also really, really proud of the fact that, you know, this was that, as he used to call it, pre-prohibition style whiskey, right? It was delivering flavors that he was used to getting from whiskeys before prohibition. And, you know, it, it really sucked for for Fred, who's our current master distiller, who's Booker's son. Uh, you know, he was the one who had to make that call to take the the um, the, the age statement off it, right? So, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty big win for Fred, for sure, to be able to bring back this nine-year age statement. But also, I think it goes to show where our commitment lies to what it is that we do, right? We don't want to, we want to make sure that we can protect the integrity of every spirit that we release, right? And, and you know, that was something that Booker was big on. So yeah, a lot of that is from us bringing this back. I mean, I have always uh, been of the opinion as well that, you know, the the number on a bottle is quite literally just that. Exactly. Right. Um, I don't believe that a 70 year old bottle is any better than a three year old bottle because one could taste really good and one could taste really bad. And, and I've had that experience before where I've tasted a whiskey that was incredibly old and was given to me to show how bad a whiskey can get. <laughs> right. Um, and also a younger one that was shown how quickly flavors can develop. So this is more about kind of beating our chest and putting a nine on the bottle. This is really about returning the vision of that brand. Yeah. Um, and I think with Knob Creek, I mean, I'm going to join these in a little sip here because this to me is everything that a bourbon should be. It's right. Yeah. So it's fantastic. We're using, so this is the same mash build that we're going to use the beam family mash build. So when you mm-hmm. take a Jim Beam white or a Jim Beam black or a Booker's or a Baker's, um, we're working off the same mash build, but this is done in that small batch style. So aged in the very specific parts of the warehouse, we're looking to get maximum interaction from the wood. And what we're really going to see from this is that we're going to develop a lot of really heavy vanillas for sure. I mean, they're going to be pretty prominent in all bourbons, but you're also really going to develop some lovely fruity notes to it. Um, now personally for me, I get lots of like stone fruit kind of flavors off it. Yeah. Um, especially on the nose, but on the palate, it's, you know, it's rich, it's full. It's almost weighty, right? Like it's almost heavy on the palate. <laughs> without being too overly creamy or buttery. The spice comes through a lot. I mean, at 50% alcohol, this is something that we forget a lot of the time 
uh, you know, whether you're, you know, people who drink whiskey a lot of the time, whether you're people who make whiskey, where, you know, anything in between, you forget sometimes that 50% alcohol is a lot of alcohol. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it is, you know, and a great example of that is if you ever have one of those 13% beers and you feel like you're drinking, you know, it's like, oh, that's a lot of alcohol. Right. So now you're going from that to 15%. But this doesn't profile like it. It lets you know it's there. It certainly shows you that big, bold, robust flavor that you want to get from a bourbon, but yeah. it doesn't blow your head off, right? No, it carries the it carries the richness that you would get in in, in a fifty percent or bottled bond or, or greater bourbon, but it presents itself like it's a like it's a forty to forty five percent kind of thing. Like it, it it's got this great approachability to it. it is. and you know, for something that gives across, yeah, like I said it does everything you want a bourbon to do, right? Like. And a lot of time people can uh, like ask me whenever I say that, does that mean it's a stereotypical bourbon? And it's in certain ways, you know, sure. Because what you expect from a bourbon this is going to give you, but it gives you an all the right balances. Right. And that's one thing that I love about Nile Creek is that there is such a balance of flavors in it. Nothing mm-hmm. comes across as being too over the top, but it's also an incredibly versatile whiskey, especially for a cocktail world. Right. Well, it's that, that, that like beautiful balance of sweet and spice. Is I think Sweet. makes it perfect for for and cocktails, there's especially. Of, there's a little bit of dry right. to it, like yeah, a little bit of the oak. Feel. Well, and even like when you say nine year, like a nine year, this like this thing hits the shelves between forty and fifty bucks. Yeah. Like as far as value is concerned, so yeah, it's the, unreal. There's is there, there's not much better bourbons on the shelf for the, at that value. I don't think. No, I mean certainly for for what you're getting from it, right? Like I mean, you're getting quite literally seven hundred fifty milliliters of pure flavor. Yeah, absolutely. So what's a, 45 bucks? <laughs> you touched on the the Jim Beam family mash bill. Can you let can you let everyone know exactly what that is? Yeah, I mean we 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 don't officially just, yeah. declare the mash bill. However, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I can tell you is that we're up around about the seventy five percent corn. Um, you're going to have around about you know fifteen or so percent. Um, Right. right, yeah, and then the rest will be malted barley. Malted barley, obviously, in there it gives a little bit of the flavor at the percentage we have, but really, we're looking for malted barley to kickstart the fermentation process for us. I haven't, yeah. I haven't sipped on it for well, a couple minutes now, and the finish is still there. I love the finish on. Yeah, this. it's long. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I find that it adds like when we being being. I just like that it's it's a well aged bourbon that you can drink straight. But it's also affordable enough that you would use it, like we said, in cocktails. And Absolutely. so I, I use it both. Like it, an, an old fashioned with this is, is, it's awesome. It's stunning because it adds such uh, way more depth than you would typically get out of like a, a $40 bottle of, of whiskey. Oh, 100%. And you know, like one big thing that we, we really want to make sure that we're always doing with our whiskeys is making them accessible, right? Like, you know, the, the whole, point of making whiskey is that people can sit down at a table with each other and enjoy it. And we don't want to, you know, create these great whiskeys and then price them to a point where not everybody gets to enjoy it. Because what's the point? Right? <laughs> there is, there is no point. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, one thing we always try and do our best is to keep the prices as quite literally as low as we can possibly keep them. And I think as a whiskey drinker, um, I almost, I almost feel like that's the responsibility of a brand like, like Jim Beam and, and some of these bigger brands, because we all know that there's going to be a variety of price range of, of whiskey out there and, and some are going to be 
more expensive. Usually like the smaller distilleries create awesome stuff. It's going to be more expensive, but the big brands need to be creating and keeping their products at an affordable price so that, so that a whiskey drinker can have those daily drinkers and right. And not have to break the bank every time. And then they can break the bank for the, for the other stuff and, or specialty products or limited releases, that kind of thing. Like I just, and Jim Beam is just one of those brands that does a really good job um, kind of just being responsible about where their products land in the market and, and thinking about their drinkers first. I mean, if, if you look at like the scope of the portfolio from the, the Jim Beam distillery, right? Like you're starting off with Jim Beam White, which is going to be around about the uh, like 24, 25 bucks, depending on where you are in Canada. And you're going to finish it off price-wise. We're talking to core now, like not any limited release or anything. You'll finish it off around about 100 bucks with bookers. And within that price range, you've got quite literally every flavor that we could possibly create. Yeah. Right? Every interaction with barrel you can possibly get. Every interaction with grain you could possibly get. Every effect that the mother nature can possibly give. Different ABVs, right? So I mean, you know, I think that's, that's pretty cool. The fact that when you're looking at, say, where you would normally really start buying a single malt, malt scotch, we've finished everything off within that area. Yeah. Right. And yeah, that's the other cool thing about bourbon that people don't really think about much is, like you said, you've, you've, you've got this range of all the same or similar mash bill, all aging in exactly the same oak. But you've got a crazy variety of textures and profiles and everything that that the that the that bourbon whiskey has to offer. It's so different than say uh, it, like with Scotch and, and single malt and that because they tend to change their profile using cask different cask maturations. Yeah. When with bourbon, typically it's like all of all the like all the variables are the same. It's just a matter of, like you said, position in the in the rickhouse, Bob, where where it's located, and all, like all these, all these different, yeah, exactly. Right? Like it's, what, what what are you going into the barrel at? Yeah, and what are you coming out? You know, what are you going into the bottle at? What's your yeast strain? You know, are you switching it up every couple of brands or expressions, or are you keeping the same? All of these things are going to help us develop flavors in what is really an incredibly highly restricted. Category. Well, <laughs> yes. you, 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 got, you got to get a bit creative. You That's exactly what I was, yeah. was going to say is, you know, bourbon's so controlled into what can be constituted a bourbon. Yeah. But to be able to use that same similar mash build, everything, and then be able to put products from the super inexpensive budget all the way up to super premium and like not a single one of them tastes bad. To me, like there's definitely ones that I prefer and definitely oh, notes, oh, yeah. but I mean, me and Steve are the same way. We'll, we'll pour something. We'll both be like, yeah, that's good. But then his version of good and my version of good is different. Like, yeah. and, and I mean, that's the, the magic of whiskey pretty much. I am curious. I, I can tell you about uh, a week or two ago, having, having one of those days, you know, those, those long days, couldn't think of what to drink. Right. I had a, I was after been doing a presentation. Because you got too many bottles behind you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, it, it doesn't, it doesn't help. That, no, um, it doesn't. But I was after been doing a presentation on Jim Beam White and I already had the bottle sitting out on my, on my, uh, table. So I literally just grabbed the glass, threw a bunch of ice cubes into it, poured a healthy amount of Jim Beam White over it. Just kind of sat down and kind of let it, the whole day slide off. And I can tell you, man, what a great whiskey. 
really, really, really is. And it was one of those moments where I kind of caught myself going, I'm really enjoying this whiskey. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yeah, um, sometimes you just get too caught up in everything else that, that you forget to just sit and enjoy, just enjoy the simplicity of it all. Right. We're also an expanding market. So we're seeing a lot more start to roll through of every different type of yeah, category. It's overwhelming right? so sometimes. There's like so it's... much to choose from now that, you know, people are always going to go out and try new things, but we'll all, you always end up back, you know, drinking what you, you really like. Right. Yeah, ab- <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'm curious to, to get your take. Do you th- like, cause we just touched on the, how um, just a bourbon regulations and how, how regulated the industry is. Um, do you, do you see, cause, cause a lot of these bourbon distilleries are, they're releasing a lot of finished products, right? Products finished in different casts and stuff like that. And there's been a lot of chatter around potentially regulations being added so that they can, so that they're going to have to call it an American whiskey or, and they can't call it a bourbon. Have you, have you heard anything on that? I'm just curious. Cause it, it is, it's, I think they also like the bourbon industry prides itself as being regulated as well. Yeah. Um, I think you know, we're, we're on the cusp right now of a bit of a generational shift within the producers of bourbon, right? You've got a, a lot of the, the younger age coming through. I mean, for us, you know, we're looking at people like Freddie No, our current master distiller, Fred's son, right? Mm-hmm. Freddie's really, really big into experimentation. He, you know, yeah. he loves little book. You know, the little book, I think is, is a great example. It's also really fun because Drinking Little Book is also kind of like reading the book of Freddie's life. Uh, and you yeah. can see him develop his skills and his styles as you go from one, two, three, four, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, paying a bit more attention to non-traditional grain usage and stuff like that, which, which really for sure does help. Um, you know, I, I think having quality regulations for sure are important, right? And standards for what you can and cannot do are for sure very important. Um, but I also think that Innovation is incredibly important. Yeah, and it can stif- right? it can stifle the industry a little bit too. It, it can, you know. I mean, like we release Legion, right? And you know, like it's the official kind of ruling on it is that as long as you're labeling on the bottle what you're doing with it, right? So yeah. we couldn't release Legion and just say this is Legion bourbon. We have to say that it's Kentucky Straight Bourbon whiskey, partially finished in red wine and sherry barrels. Yeah, right? and that kind of so we're basically saying this this is what we're doing, right? Do I believe that you should be able to? mature something entirely in a poor cask and call it a bourbon? No. You know, um, I'm okay with how it is now. You know, it's a, if you want to do a bourbon finish in a poor cask and you say that it's, it's a bourbon finish in a poor cask and you know, I don't see why not. Well, that that is what it is. It's a straight bourbon as long as it meets the requirements to be that first and then finished in a, in a poor cask or or shared cask, right? Like it's, it is as transparent as possible. And, and I'd like, for me, I hope, I hope that they don't, I don't know, not allow that. Don't make them call it American whiskey. Cause I think that they still work hard to create that bourbon in the first place. And you've got, like you said, you've got so many innovators out there. And one of them is like, every time I go down, I pick a bottle up a Bardstown because they're, they're creating so yes. many, so many interesting. Those are really cool stuff. Yeah. Like they're just, they're just experimenting with all these different, they're doing collaborations and casts and all this kind of stuff. And I like to see that sort of excitement in the industry. And, and it is, I mean, like, you know, as I said, we're, we have a new, that new generation and like not saying that all the new people coming through, like there's people who are active right now who are big into it, who want to do more with it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I wouldn't like to say that I would like them to relax the laws because that's definitely not what I mean. But I do think that if you want to opt to do a six month finish in a barrel, 
you shouldn't have to change the entire designation of what it is that you've done. Yeah, as right. long as you're being transparent and saying, oh yeah, we made a bourbon yeah, and then we put it in a you know, curse barrel for a couple of weeks. And right? I think that's put on just, the label and you're good. Yeah. That's, I think that's just what everybody wants is transparency. I don't even think like as, as we kind of all evolve as drinkers where, what it is exactly, it doesn't matter as much as it does knowing what uh, went into the creation of that whiskey. Just right. All that transparency. That's what I want to soak in. As long as people aren't lying to the consumer, I think that's the main thing. And I mean, it doesn't just go for bourbons, whiskey in general. It is whiskey in general. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite or go-to expression out of your Jim Beam portfolio? Do you play favorite? Uh, I mean, you're not supposed to, but yeah, of course. Of course you do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I can honestly say, I mean, you know, I find the fact that I can say this, I find that I'm very lucky to be able to say it, but I do genuinely like every single thing in my portfolio. Of course. Um, you know, I, I was always assuming that there'd be something in there that I'd go, Oh no, (laughs) why, why this? But, um, I would say probably my, my one that I gravitate towards most would be bakers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, it was really the bourbon that got me into bourbon. Yeah. The bakers was one of, uh, Baker's was one of my first loves too. Uh, I went on a trip to New York years and years ago, and I was kind of like right, right after I started drinking whiskey straight more often. And it, in the hotel we're staying at, you could go downstairs, you get for like four bucks. I swear they filled a glass full of like four ounces of Baker's, <laughs> and and me, me and my buddy just sit there and. Sip it, sip it, and we end up going down there basically at the beginning and, and end of every night before we went back to the hotel. And I just, yeah, I fell in love with that bourbon. And it's an incredible, it's an incredible flavor to it. Uh, I think it really represents Baker as a person very well. Um, and also, I mean, I love the fact that, you know, now with the, the single barrel program, we've been able to evolve Baker's little, but the flavors you like and you've, you know, you've always liked, they're all still there. Yeah. Now you're going to have those little kind of subtleties that the single barrel program could give you, like, you know, the addition of some kind of light little flavors here and there. But we've also opened up the transparency with bakers a lot. You know, so when you grab your bottle and take the serial number off the, the top and go to bakersbourbon.com and put in that serial number, it will tell you everything you need to know about that barrel of bourbon. Yeah, that's you know, cool. Which, which I think is great. I think it's, you know, I'm big on transparency. It's, it's, um, it's interesting that technology now lets you just open it up to the consumer. I mean, there's like, we've talked to a few different people in scotch and Irish and yeah. same thing. Like it with a computer, or even your phone, you just plug in a number and it literally tells you this story of what you're drinking. And to it's me, fantastic. well, the end, like Colin McKenzie with that blockchain technology yeah. they're using for our Demerkin and, and Adelphi and stuff like it's, yeah, it's really cool. Or like the Glendalock pot still. Yeah. It, right on the can. The Irish oak. You, yeah. The Irish oak, it tells you batch trees, whatever. Yeah. Even the tree they made the cask out of like how, yeah. how flipping cool just, is that? <laughs> literally go to their website, plug in the numbers off the can and it gives you a video about the exact tree that went into the cask that they yeah, they, they cut the wood, send it to Spain to a cooperage. They make it, they send it back, and they finish their whiskeys in this. And like it's what that's you can so do. great. Yeah. I mean, it's really good. It's really like, you know, it's just really cool. Yeah, like thirty years ago, <laughs> I, I saw an article that was written in two thousand, the year two thousand, and it was like 
the internet is a quickly fading fad. <laughs> wow. Yeah, quick, guy, yeah, quickly fading. Yeah. yeah. That guy was wrong. <laughs> it took over the world. Someone needs to tell that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I want to ask is, um, obviously not this year, but when you've been able to travel to the States and up here in Canada, um, granted the bourbon scene in the U S is going to be way more vast than Canada, but have you seen the bourbon scene in Canada growing in the last little while? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, even honestly, even in the last like four or five years, I've seen a huge increase in the right. And there, you know, some of the simpler ways of doing that are if you look at board control liquor stores, I think are always a really good indicator. Right, because you know, privately run stuff, they're going to buy in a lot of the time, like you know, what they feel that they can sell in that area, and you might have you know, a a store that's close to a whiskey group, the guys who are whiskey, yeah. so they're going to go through stuff that's a little bit more out there. But when you start to see government controlled boards purchasing in more of a um, a certain category, they know they're going to be able to sell it, right? So you know, taking cues from places like you know the BC liquor stores or Manitoba or you know the LCBO and things like that, we're seeing through that just in pure numbers alone that it's growing. Um, but also, I mean, you know, you take a little ramble through Instagram every now and again. I've noticed even from our live events when we do them, right? Like, you know, the there used to be a time where we'd work off a thing of, okay, well, there's a hundred tickets sold. If we can get fifty people cool whereas now it's like you know there's 100 tickets sold do you think we could fit an extra 10 because there's more people interested right and you know i i think it's really really great um i think that there's always going to be bad that comes with the good but i always kind of like to look on the good side of it um the good side of it is that you know it's not like these are people who are just drinking bourbon and drinking bourbon alone the whiskey is as a category is growing Right. And, you know, like we talked about earlier on, you know, those folks who were always scotch drinkers are now saying, well, I'm going to give bourbon a try. Oh, hell, I like this. Right. And, you know, they're, they're starting to kind of increase everyone's own personal repertoire of whiskeys. And, and that's fun. Right. And that's a really great thing. So, so yeah, like we're definitely seeing, definitely seeing it grow here in Canada. Yeah. I mean, personally, I, when I got into whiskey, it was definitely scotch and Irish. And then, you know, even being Canadian, like I'm embarrassed to say that I kind of shun Canadian whiskey just based on that, you know, the unearned reputation that it has. And then obviously when I like met Steve and hooked up with him and started doing all these events and, you know, talking daily, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to get you some bourbon. And so he poured me in. <laughs> it's funny because Booker's was one of them. And you know, he just bakers. gave me bakers. Yeah. yeah. And he gave me some samples and just said, okay, go through these. And then I want your feedback. I want you to know, I want you to tell me what you liked and what you didn't like. And then from there, he was able to kind of steer me and like our friends all over the place. Same thing. You know, the, the one thing that you know, convert, I'm converting scotch drinkers everywhere. Yeah. Like right. Josh, <laughs> know your, yeah. know your whiskey up in Fort Mac. He said, you know, his thing was always, well, it smells like bourbon. looks like well, bourbon. And that's, like bourbon. yeah, it's, it's a bourbon. running joke in our, in our community is right. It's but bur- then, bourbon tastes like bourbon, but, but last year, but there's so much named, more, right? Like two whiskeys of the year. And one of them was a bourbon. Yeah. <laughs> so Cause uh, I started turning them on to everything. And, and for him, it was just finding, finding those cast strength releases that really hit home with him because he's a, he's a cast strength Scotch drinker. So when he would drink a, yeah, just a, a regular bourbon, 
he wasn't finding the depth and richness that he was looking for that he likes right. that he identifies with being a scotch and it well actually what's funny is the first one i told him or i released you all on was the word for double oak just because that's it's good whiskey yeah, yeah it is for sure and 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 then it was kind of just going everywhere there's so much more to explore in bourbon that people give it credit for and I, i'm constantly trying to tell people that and the great thing about it is that you know the bigger it gets here in canada the more access that we're going to have to yes different different flavors right and to, to different spirits right and you know not even necessarily what our local boards will buy in or whatever but also what's made available for allocation to different countries from mm-hmm. the distilleries right you know because I mean, there's, there's a finite amount of whiskey you can produce and you should really only be selling it to places it's going to be sold yeah well, for sure and we're, com- you know, we're not sitting on a shelf right so we're combating a country that is crazy for their own spirit like most bourbon manufacturers be like a, jim beam obviously is a, a worldwide manufacturer but some of the some of the smaller ones they don't need to put bourbon on our shelves here to sell it. They can sell it within their own country, right? So you, you know, Japanese whiskey is a great example of that as well. Yeah, for sure. Right? You know, you, when if you can sell pretty much everything that you make within your borders, why go through the effort of sending it anywhere else? Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's, but it's to it's to propel the the genre altogether, and that's yeah, I def- definitely appreciate it. And, we, and you see more limited product especially well, all products but bourbon products are hitting the shelves more and more it's that's also another kind of running joke between me and some of the guys i communicate with down south because i'll i'll just randomly send them pictures of limited bourbons that they're all crying for down there and it sits on my local liquor <laughs> liquor store shelf for yeah. months for months and i'll just yeah I'll just pick up one here and there and <laughs> but, like, oh man regular buffalo trace we get it for 24 dollars regular price and there's states that they literally they pay 120 yeah. bucks american for the same bottle and i'm like if there was a way for us to truck down legally and not get caught <laughs> you can make yeah. a mint even <laughs> the, it would make you think wouldn't it yeah even the the, the uh, knob creek the double barrel rye there was it was hard it was hard to oh, find the spiral. Yeah, yeah yeah like it, it was hard to find for a lot of people and a few people i talked to in chicago they just it came and it went so quickly and that's it's a that was like, a beautiful whiskey yeah we have the luxury of still being able to access it here in alberta especially so it's like there's so many yeah there's so many beautiful whiskeys that that we have so much access to that's wonderful yeah <laughs> that's the reason i drink too much yeah, exactly <laughs> So outside of your portfolio, what's a whiskey that you find yourself grabbing more often? I'd say my, um, I mean, this portfolio is pretty big. Yeah. Which is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Highland park is for sure a go-to for me. Um, I, I don't think I've ever tasted Highland park that I haven't loved, not even liked, but loved. Really? Yeah. Um, there's just something about what they do that I, I love and you know a lot of the time a brand can blind me a little bit right like you know i love the brand so much that i'll yeah that I'll, uh, you know I'll, I'll forgive certain little discrepancies here and there but with highland park i mean i i tend to be kind of super judgy about <laughs> their whiskeys um, <laughs> but they all i mean they've, they're all incredible um so yeah that's probably one of the, the most common like go-tos for me um, and then also, I mean, like, you know, all the stuff from the Kilbegan distillery, like that's probably what I'm going to be heading towards first. It's funny because, um, um, 
like obviously Kilbegan here, we, we don't see the 18 year old at all, but what we do see sits on our lower shelves and a small a, batch. Yeah. As an the... Irish drinker, I, you know, I kind of overlooked them just because of where they sat. And then yeah. we talked to Barry Chandler, um, just before Christmas. And he told us the story of Kilbegan and how the town people and the, all the owners kept paying the license, kept paying the license. Yeah. And then that story kind of stuck with me. So, I was like, okay, well, there's a pot still. Well, let's let's get that because you know, other than Middleton, I love tasting other pot still. So I grabbed that, and then right away I grabbed the signal grain, and then I was like, well, they have this rye. Like, what's an the Irish? rye is really good? I'm like, yeah. what's an Irish rye? So then, the rye is really good. So we actually yeah, we on an episode it. we haven't we haven't posted it yet, but we did a four four ryes side by side, and that yeah. was one of them, and. Yeah, it's it, like it's it's Irish, but it's it has rye in it, yeah. and it's it was great. It, it captures both like the the great qualities of a yeah of an Irish whiskey and a rye at the same time, which is not that's not easy to yeah, accomplish, right? I, I think they did a really really good job on it, um, and also you know the, the stuff from the Connemara range, and actually a lot of the cast finishes with the Turconnell range as well. Um, in particular, the fifteen and sixteen yeah. year old they released over the last couple of years, they've been really, really fun. I literally just yeah, the cracked, Madeira and the I just Oloroso, the fifteen and sixteen last night. Yeah, they're good. My wife got me the ten year sherry for Christmas, and that kind of got me on the road to Tirconnell. And yeah, I picked up fifteen and sixteen. They sat, and I just cracked them last night and had all three of them. Yeah, it's unreal. It's funny because every that, birthday I've had for probably the last. <sighs> 10 years, maybe 12 years. Yeah. The first drink of the day is Turconal Madeira cask. Oh, it's so lovely. It's it's excellent. It's it's in that rye, that Kilbegan rye. So I'm hosting a Irish tasting on the 20th with another uh, group in our group. And uh, I donated a bottle of the rye. I said, we're, I don't care. It doesn't have to be part of the tasting, but I want everybody to get a sample of it. To this. try it. Yeah. Just to try it, but we're not labeling it. So it's just mystery. So nobody's going to know That's what it awesome. is. I'd be really interested to see what people, what the, uh, the feedback was. The yeah. best, the best is I'm going to come in at the end and, and guess it right. And everyone's <laughs> going to be blown away about how good I am. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it, it will be really cool to see just because they'll be drinking Irish the whole time and then they'll drink that and it'll taste like Irish, but it'll have that, yeah. that rye profile in it. And it's going to throw everyone for a loop. I just love those moments, right? Yeah. When you can yeah. just, toss people around and like we we do we do all kinds of weird tastings where we're, we're trying like everyone brings a weirdo to the tasting just to try and throw each other's palates off but that that's like that's the fun in whiskey yeah oh yeah it's it's a world of flavor yeah it's like literally literally, literally. <laughs> like it's yeah. there's so much more yeah than just yeah i don't know it's i would yeah, I'm just like blown away. I don't even have any thoughts because I'm <laughs> my head is just overwhelmed with all kinds of stuff. But um, so who? Let's go. Let's kind of go to you and, and being an ambassador in Canada. Um, what's like? What's some of your favorite moments since becoming an ambassador? And and what like what, what do you love most about it? And I guess what are what are the things you you don't love most about it? Um, I mean, I guess the you know. If, if I was to put together like a highlight reel video of, you know, best moments, like, like for me, honestly, I just going to sound like such a cliche answer, but the best moments <laughs> are the people, right? Yeah, they really are. For sure. Right. It's kind of, you know, I, I love seeing people get excited about whiskey. I love seeing people taste one for the first time. And honestly, even if they hate it, 
I just love that the reaction of people's face by by you know drinking. Probably why I've been in, in, in bartending for so long before this. Yeah, but you know, I, I think there's there's been a couple of things that have you know kind of stood out for me. Uh, my first presentation, um, where my predecessor Matt Jones, he was doing a, an event out here in in Ajax, Ontario. And he was like, look, man, we're going to get you to present Jim Beam Black. I'm going to do like the Scotch and the Irish and the Canadian, some of that, but you present Jim Beam Black and it's going to get your feet wet, right? Like, you know, be your first presentation. It's like, perfect. No problem, man. So I, like, I was literally, when I said my first presentation, it was like my second day on the job. <laughs> so I went home that night and I studied like everything I could possibly find to learn about Jim Beam Black. I memorized. <laughs> and then we the next day and Matt decided to tell me that he changed his mind and he wanted me to present Maker's Mark. Oh. <laughs> so, so that moment. And if you're listening, Matt Jones, I know you did it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. but, but I think that moment, you know, uh, was, was probably, that, I won't forget it uh, <laughs> ever, Jones. Um, but, you know, honestly, being able to to tell the story of such great brands and such great families, and yeah. to be able to kind of bring that to literally, literally across the country, right? And that's every, every day is kind of something that's added to the highlight reel. So that's you know a hell of a lot of fun. And then on the personal end of things, you know, I mean, I've was friends with a lot of these folks before I started um, before I started with this job, but there's also a lot that I wasn't. And yeah. that have become really close friends now. And, you know, people that will be friends well past whatever expiration date ends up being, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, like little things like, you know, if it wasn't for for Brian from Ardbeg, I wouldn't have my girlfriend, right? Like that's how I got introduced to her. So, Crazy. you know, there's, there's all of these, uh, sorry, she's doing a little dance. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's, there's so much of this job affects your personal life that it's really, really great when it affects it in a positive way. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been, yeah, there's been so many highlights, but I think, you know, getting to see so much of the country speak to so many people across the country about these jobs. I know yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to start wording that question besides the people. <laughs> What's your favorite? Okay. Cause it's too, no, no, you don't have, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's such a common, it's such a common sentiment because you, you all just, obviously you, you're also passionate about, there's a, there's like a you're an of, ambassador. You, I mean, oh, you have to be passionate about it. You have to be yeah. passionate about presenting it. It's just how it is. Like, honestly, outside of the people and speaking purely from a, a greedyish point of view, I guess, there's so much access to stuff. Yeah. Right. You know, I've, I've been able to learn so much just purely by having the access to the educational assets that we have to the distillers, to the distilleries, to, you know, other brands and to actually be able to taste their products. Right. Like, yeah. you know, these are things that I wouldn't have been able to do on a normal occasion. And you know, I love learning about it. So the true, the true so perks. Be, yeah. True perks yeah. of the, of the job. Right. And that's, you work, you work hard, you sacrifice like a, on a normal year, you're on the road lots. So you're sacrificing a lot to be on the road to present to the people that you love. But so you deserve those perks. You deserve to be able to visit distilleries and, and enjoy lots of different whiskeys and, and all that kind of stuff. Definitely fun. Yeah. So what's, um, la like lastly, I'm curious what, like what's next for Ray? Like, do you, do you have any aspirations beyond being an ambassador? 
Are we going to have your, uh, are you going to be next in line at the distillery? <laughs> I actually yeah. have Ray Daniel whiskey. No, yeah. I think, yeah. you I think and the Freddy. best thing for all involved would be uh, to not have that happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Ray, we're going to, we're going to do some blends over here and you're just sitting in the corner with, yeah. <laughs> Prolonged exposure to flammable substances is probably not the best idea for me. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think within what I do, I still have some work left to do and some work, you know, some, some left to give some road less left to travel kind of thing. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think I'll ever leave the business. Um, I don't, I never really had an, an interest in going towards say like the commercial side of things or towards like the, the management side of things, so to speak. Yep. Um, but you know, I think in, in an advocacy role, it's kind of perfectly suited. You know, I think outside of the liquor business, you know, I would certainly love to go back into the hotel business. Um, something that I really enjoyed. And that's kind of the same thing, right? Like, you know, in a hotel, you're running like a, a beverage concept within a hotel or a beverage from within a hotel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, your your customers rotate as quickly as they do when I travel, right? Because, you know, they're, it's rarely your locals. It's usually the people who are coming to town for a couple of days, right? And, yeah. You know, those are things. And, yeah, but I think for for right now, you know, there's there's uh, there's still some work left to do. There's still <laughs> I, I still I still got some left to give. I'm not not oh, completely absolutely. ready to go to past year just yet. I think that like after a year like COVID, um, the, 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 I can only assume there's going to be a little bit of like that cooped up. You just want to get out there and and storm the world again there's going to be like this rejuvenated excitement i think amongst everyone like not not just you guys For but sure. even us to like festivals because like, the festival season in canada is so such a lively season and okay. it's just like there's so much fun to be had around all these brands and, and with all the people involved and i, I know i'm excited for it and, and it is miss right like you yeah. know i had this conversation i think it was just yesterday about how like in ways like being on the road constantly is it, it wears away at you quite easily, right? For like, sure. You, know, you, get, you get tired pretty quick, um, so it kind of feels like we've been kind of given a free year. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, to, to like kind decompress of, and right. Yeah, and you know, and obviously there's been a lot of learning stuff to that has been great. Um, yeah. You know, through half the try and change what what we do or how we do what we do, um, but you know, for sure, you know, I'll, I'll be ready to go back and. I hit festival season and uh, I mean I'm a terrible flyer so I won't be looking forward to that but um, you know that's that's what I think you just need to get a big you need to get a big Jim Beam van or something like that just start road tripping blimp I would like a blimp (laughs) that's still flying though (laughs) if anyone from Goodyear is listening if we can uh, maybe get Jim Beam blimp I'd love yeah. to see that show up in, in at Banff Whiskey Experience. <laughs> but the blimp is actually just my head. Yeah. You know what I mean? In the shape of your head. Yeah. 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 I'm trailed Ball by like two big thumbs ups. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just like, it's amazing what technology can do. I'm sure like, somebody could do that. Absolutely. I'm sure somebody, that, you, but yeah, someone that's listening, I'm sure could create that for you. Right. <laughs> I'm so terrified about what my inbox is going to look like after this goes live. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not that much. Cause I think there's only about two <laughs> listeners and, and both of them are here. So, <laughs> but it's a, uh, I don't know. We're, we're, we're happy to be doing this. And, and honestly, I've, I'd love to leave on the note that we're, we're excited to see, we're excited to have you back 
a west obviously like we don't we yeah it's it's always fun when when everyone from out east comes because most of you live out east so it's it's always a fun time because you guys tour around all the festivals and they're all really really close to one another and then it, you mix in the club tastings if if you guys can fit it in like it's just it's just a fun time of year and i know we're yeah we're excited to have you again when when you're able to come back out here because well, i i gotta say i'm really looking forward to getting back out and seeing you guys and for sure doing a tasting with you uh but also honestly guys like for for you like keep doing what you're doing because i had not listened to you know a few of the episodes the other day and this is really great this is something that people need in canada right like you know it's it's to have platforms like this to be able to listen to and be able to you know you both are so knowledgeable to be able to have you know, your opinions come through and also the guests you bring on you know and it's entertaining as well so you know i want to take my hat off to you guys as well because you're doing a really really good job with this thank you uh, yeah keep it up thank you Ray. i really really appreciate it and we're i'm thinking next time we're gonna have you on again obviously you've got a you've got a ton of stuff to talk about man. I just, I yeah just <laughs> exactly <laughs> i figure we'll do like maybe yeah we'll do one centered around makers and and some of these other brands because like yeah we, we could literally sit on here for 10 hours and talk about everything and probably not even touch on it all so yeah we're yeah <laughs> yeah we're like yeah we're both not going anywhere so <laughs> but uh yeah cheers to you my friend hey, honestly thank you for your time and yeah looking forward to doing this in person Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Cheers.